0: Anish, hello. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Thank you for being on on the podcast today. For our listeners, um, I am speaking today with Anish Pandit. He is a friend of mine who is a wonderful oboist, a wonderful human. Anish, you are somebody who I've admired since the second that I met you, when we were little baby students at the Chautauqua <laughs> Institute. And now here you are, about to start your position as the resident oboe at the Symphony of India when this pandemic situation concludes itself and we can go on with our lives. How's everything going with you on your end these days?
1: It's all right. I'm here with my family. I'm actually still in the States, so I'll start in June. June 1st, so yeah. It's... You got your
0: start date!
1: Yeah.
0: <gasps> Congratulations! Thank
1: you. Yeah, it's like, actually a year delayed, so that was... That was interesting, yeah. It was supposed to start oh. last June. <laughs> oh
0: my gosh, a full year. Yeah. Wow, so how have you, what have you been doing this year? Where's your head at? How is your heart? Huh. So I guess, I mean,
1: I recorded a couple of, like, album things, like one one of Indian vocal music where I kind of did multi, I kind of learned multi-track recording and got a little home system secondhand from someone, you know, like a Focus Bride and... Condenser mic and etc, and then I so I recorded you know multi track for that, like the Indian percussion flute vocals like um and then of like some very traditional compositions, then I did like a oboe one um on of like kind of French songs and uh stuff like that, and then so it's been nice, it's kind of just to feel like, oh, if I really want to record something high quality, I can do that just like if I want anytime. So, and then, you know, I com- I published, I got a couple of pieces uh, published that I composed uh, by Travko Varner, Varner Music. So they're just like oboe solo pieces uh, with also Indian influenced, you know, uh, themes and stuff like that. So one of them's just for solo oboe, one of them's for like pre-oboe with pre-recorded media, or you could also play it live. So I just kind of wrote out those parts too. So um Yeah, um, one is called Three Nayakas, which is like one of the three of the three of the eight like archetypal, you know, heroines of ancient theater. So I've composed a movement for every one of those. And one of them is like three Indian nocturnes. I actually composed that in high school. And um, like, yeah, and my for my IB international baccalaureate music class, which is so random, but I actually like, you know, turned out okay. So my teacher ended up premiering it here at University of Evansville. Um, you know, at a faculty recital, a few, like, you know, three, four years. No, no, more than that. Oh, my gosh, like six years ago. And then <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of goes by. And then, but the thing is, it's sad now looking back, because, like, they're thinking of cutting the music department in University of Evansville. This pandemic has been, like, such a, a mess, you know, financially for, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just ah. that. And I've been working also at my parents' office, like, kind of helping with like the electronic medical stuff and whatnot. And yeah, just that. And, you know, trying to practice like once in a blue moon. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, it's so great that you've been creating so much. Oh, and selling Um, reeds.
1: But, you know, everyone is selling reeds, (laughs) you know.
0: Are they? Are they though? No, I think that's so great. Oh, it's so good to hear that. Like you've been able to just be like flexing your creativity kind of during this whole time. I think that's really good. Thank you. Has that been, like, helpful for your, just, like, your well-being in general? I've been finding recently that, like, if I don't have time to do creative things, I just go a little bit nuts.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, I remember one time we went, this was before COVID. So this was the winter break before COVID, so, like, last December. Um, no, not, you know, you know what I meant. Um, so we went to, like, Mexico, my my family and I, which we always just go to India, for families. So this was really different. So, well, we went to Mexico and it was like, I was like, oh, we're going to have like for once, like a nice beachy like vacation. It's been so long. And I was going, I, I was, I'm the kind of person where if I don't like do something creative, I literally get angry. Like I anger, just like, I have like, like unexplainable rage that just like fills my body. <laughs> like, and it's just like, it's just like, I don't know. I, I was like I was like I was like, okay, I've been on the beach for six days. Now what now what? You know, it's like, oh, what do I do? Like even all the expeditions and all the little things we did, like, you know, the Cenote's, like those like underwater like cave like things, so cool even all that, I was like, okay, that's great. But yeah, can I make music now? Can I like do something (laughs) musical? Like it's, I wish sounds so bizarre because those are like things people, you know, love and cherish. And you spend all that ridiculous sum of money on getting pictures and whatnot. And I was just kind of like, but what really makes me happy is like creating with people. Like I really, it's really made me realize it's like, yeah, I mean, I I really want to travel, but I want to travel and also do those things that I really love. It's not like, and you know and also it's it's different when you're with family cuz you know everyone's bickering and it's just kind of a you know what i mean it's a different vibe oh, for yes, some I people's do. family it's different i guess but it was <laughs> like i don't know with my family we were we're we're such wildly different personalities like each of us so it's kind of a mess sometimes so it was but it was really it was it was fun but i would just realize like on my way home i was just like so i had so much like it's like it's that's when i realized that Creating a spiritual purification for me. Like, it's, it's like, it's mental, it's mentally so important for me, for my mental health, for my, especially my anger, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm an Aries in Indian astrology. You know what I mean? Like, anger. <laughs> yeah. We're both moons in Gemini. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah, this it- kind
0: of. You need to be it it it, i I feel as though with those particular personality traits, it's like you need to be seen and heard and understood. There's a deep need to be seen.
1: Yeah, I will and heard and understood. I will bicker and and, and away if someone like with my with my mom if she if she doesn't quite understand what I'm saying or my dad doesn't quite understand what I'm trying to explain like about some kind of music or this or that. I'm just like no 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 blah blah blah. Or no, don't generalize that. It's bubble you know, I just get so in like my head about it's just funny it's like but I just realized like how much I care about those things like even then and then COVID is just COVID has just made it like like so evident that I mean this is the thing though I've lacked so much motivation but I'm constantly listening to music still I'm constantly looking looking to and I'm realizing one thing COVID has taught me is that for my like mental state not just creating but watching others create that is Mm. equally like it gives me the same sort of like visceral almost feeling like I used to, you know, I used to kind of always just be like, Oh, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. But now it's kind of like, no, I want to listen. I want to listen. I want to listen. You know, it's like just equally important. And you almost like feel yourself through whoever you're listening. It's like you kind of merge with them. I don't know. It's kind of forced me to more just like, cause there's nothing to
0: prepare for. So. <laughs> oh, I love that but you just said like, oh, I want to play, I want to play. But now it's more like, I want to listen, I want to listen, I want to listen. Yeah. I think that's so beautiful. Like, yeah, if I'm in that frustrated state of like, oh, I'm just not bringing anything new into the world. It's like, I can go on... This sounds like so cheesy, but like, I can go on TikTok and watch these amazing creators on TikTok, like, mm-hmm. birth these incredibly creative, like, poignant things and bring these wonderful things into the world. So I, I love that so much. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, listen, I just have always admired your authenticity and your insightfulness and all these these wonderful things that you always bring to the table and like i'm just wondering you know what was it like in your schooling you know you were trained classically as an oboist you had a big university experience and then a small conservatory experience in grad school and i just wanted to open the floor if you wanted to speak to how that like what that was like
1: oh open the floor yes indeed. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to try not to make this too juicy. Okay. Let me see. Like undergrad. I really wanted to go to IU. That was like my first choice school. I only auditioned at, um, IU, CCM, you know, Cincinnati and, um, Michigan and Northwestern. And, and I canceled my Northwestern audition the minute I found out I got into IU. I just said I was sick or something. I know that sounds awful, but I just, I just wanted to go to IU so badly. And Northwestern's an amazing school. I just wanted to go to IU so bad because I, I listened to Stroman's Easter Oratorio and a couple other things. You know, I'm a snooper. I love to go snoop and listen to recordings and whatever I can listen to. I just enjoy that, you know, so especially now that I've had all this time to snoop and listen and everything, it's just fun. I mean, I don't do it out of judgment. I do it out of like inspiration. Um, so, you know, I remember just listening to her Easter Oratorio and just being like, Oh my God, like, yeah, that's like my voice. Like, that's what I want to sound like, you know? So, um, you know, I, I want to be helped in that direction. So I kind of told them straight up in my audition. I'm like, if I, if I get in here, I'm coming like point blank period. Like that's it, you know? So, and they were kind of a little like, okay, he's a little like, he's a little bold. He's a little is that like Aries, is that Aries energy. Yeah. They were like, do you have any questions? I'm like, not really, but I'm gonna come here if I get in. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is it. Like, I, I listened to your recordings. I listened to Mr. Rose. What was it called? Midnight Monody or something? Okay, sorry, I'm probably miss saying that, but it is a Monody. He like his English horn playing. I was like, oh, that's so. It was so gorgeous, and I was just like, yeah, that's it. But then, okay, so I loved that. It was like my freshman year. I remember being really fun. I was so exp- expanding on in all departments um, mm-hmm. yes, all departments. <laughs> so, oh, yeah! It was like, like a lot of like exploration in terms of things I couldn't do. Cause you know, growing up in kind of a Indian sort of family, it's not like you're restricted in any way, but it's like, you don't get to like, you don't get to like explore a lot of, you know, different things. So, um, my parents have always been, Fairly open people compared to a lot of Indian parents, um, you know, just about self-expression and things like that. Um, not the most, but like, you know, fairly considering where they came from, like they both their families like two generations ago were like subsistence farmers in the Himalayas, you know, pretty impressive that they can, you know, they're very mentally like well rounded for like, you know, like, you know, open to things. Um, so, you know, they let me be a musician. I did have to, oh. I did have to fight a little bit. I remember my dad not letting me go to Sewanee one year or something. And then I had to like, I was like, they were like, no, go the next year. And then it worked out perfectly. That's where I met, you know, some, a friend that went to IU, you know, Mayu, And that's whenever I like really felt like, Oh yeah, I should, I really want to try IU. Cause I really liked her playing. And I was like, Hmm. So then, uh, you know, everything works out. In divine timing, that's just my opinion. Whatever, but <laughs> this is um, you know. The, but I I don't know. I loved IU. I, I you know had a lot of. I had a, the thing is Miss Stroman and also it's this it's the case at Eastman too with Mr Kilmer is that he really cares about the environment of the studio. Miss Stroman also cares about the environment of the studio. She always says like, oh yeah, Mr Kilmer and I are like like tr- I try to be like him in that way, you know, and like and you know because he you know it's a really nice. You know, I mean, I, it's not like there weren't tensions in the studio. Okay, if someone's going to be, if someone, if someone is going to have an attitude or something, they're going to have an attitude. You can't just enforce, like, a studio policy and everyone's going to listen. But I appreciated, and I realized, especially when I went to NEC, that I appreciated that kind of structure or that, you know, Ms. Strowman always used to say, don't be bitter, get better.
0: She oh, wow. She was, like, wow. always,
1: liked, like, oh, if you, that's a she good always one. used to be, like, if you didn't like your placement audition... You know, you didn't think you played or played, no need to be bitter. We were very, we didn't know who you were. Our placement auditions were always behind a screen and they're like 30 of us. So how the hell are they going to know? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's really like yeah. almost like a full round of an audition, like an like, you know, and, and so, so many, it used to be so very, many oh yeah, it used to be like, and then there were, they would have English horn auditions. Then they would have callbacks too, for principal spots and orchestras.
0: Like semi-finals. Yeah, semifinals oh. for
1: all the principal spots in orchestra and then the second and fill and second and maybe like one other orchestra concert or something. They used to give callbacks and then arrange again with the same excerpts. And it would be like an actual like excerpt list, and they would ask 2D passages sometimes. Like I remember one time they wow. asked for that 2D passage from Tchaik for um uh, Tchaikovsky for. Um bum you know, and that's kind of stuff. And they sometimes they would ask for like <laughs> and she shares that and only in the callback. Oh, so it used to be nerve. Kind of, it kind of gave us like kind of a perspective, but it used to be fun because we were all going, suffering, whatever, through it together. And we'd all used to kinda of, there was that communal area, the read room, where you know, we have it's like the biggest read room, you know. It's like actually Miss Stroman said, if I accept this job. At IU, I, you have to turn that attic space or whatever in the annex, you have to turn that into a read room. You know, we have to get oh, sponsors. Amazing. And so it's like a really nice read room. And the thing with the read room is like, that's so funny how one little thing can make such a difference. Because all other musicians, they were just in and out of the music annex to practice, to leave, to, you know, do chamber or whatever. And we used to like all congregate, oboes and business in the read room. Like it was like, it was, like, the, like, Gossip Central, but also, like, not just Gossip Central. You know, it was just a fun place. We used to, like, we used to sit around, joke around, like, just eat, eat food, even though we weren't supposed to. Like, whatever. Who cares? Like, in the read room. <laughs> it was so fun. You know, it was, like, I, I, and, you know, I made some really close friends there. Um, you know, there they were really tough experiences there, too. But that was more of me just learning to grow up. Like, and, like, okay, mm. you know. You, you, and it was more of me just learning like, okay, you know, that was on you. You should have put the work in. That's why you messed up, you know, or something, you know, a lot oh, of that, yeah. like things Hard like that. Hard
0: reflections, yeah.
1: For sure. Like, just like self-reflection because Miss Stroman was so there for me. She was so there for every one of us. And like, I don't know, it was like, uh, it was, I you taught me, but in like a good way. Like, I felt good. Like, you know, so, and, and, uh. You know the, but but then I was I was you know I I was uh, expecting you know Miss Troman kind of told me she was like you know at any seat it's not going to quite be this way you know conservatories are a little different, even you know universities compared to the environment we have here are different honestly but it was just it was nice and IU you know there were many different disciplines it was you know there you you lived you could walk kind of around you know meet your friends easily and there wasn't too much to do to where you felt like your friends and you didn't have a reason to meet. And and I never, you know, there was never a feeling of like being, oh, this sounds weird, but like, you know, there was never a feeling of, ah, oh, you know, there's too much effort to come together. So, you know, your friends might be like, in like in Boston, you might say like, oh yeah, let's for sure hang out. And then it never happens. You know what I mean? Like, so when I went to NEC, like my first year, I was kind of like very like kind of focused, like kind of like, you know, very like, you know, on my shit with cooking and like, you know, like trying to be organized and all that stuff, like trying to have a balanced life. Like I was trying my best. Um, But I don't know, something about the vibe there, it just kind of caught up to me. Like, it was like, like NEC is a great place. I'm not saying anything. NEC is a nice, like, like, I honestly didn't find anything to be like, cutthroat or weird about it or anything I did find the uh, the vibe to be less open though you know not just you know um you know I mean you know Strowman has kind of a strict pedagogy but there's she was never kind of snobbish about it I'm sorry but it's just different like you should like I think there's something there's a there's a different actually Strowman is even more detailed and particular about a lot of things like inter-pedagogically inter-, pedagogically, inter- in terms of how she teaches and stuff, you know, um, but it's like, um, but it was it was a little different because Stroman still had this like childlike feel to her. Like there was still like this kind of like inspired, like kind of like. You know, she, she's, like, kind of a... There was, like, that little bit of that bright-eyed, like, innocent thing. It didn't feel jaded. Miss Troman doesn't feel jaded. You know, that vibe is not... And, and the thing is, I'm not saying that my teachers there were jaded or something. Never. Oh, my God. Miss Gabriel's lessons were so sweet. She also has that kind of little bit of that, like, twinkle in her eye and stuff. And Furlo is so inspiring. My gosh, does he know so much about everything. It's so weird. Like, he's such a cultured man. He is such a such a vast, like, um, he just understands things intuitively. He's such an inspiration, you know, but, but, but it's less, there's less of this innocent feel, you know, less of the, it's much more like, kind of like, it's not jaded, but you can tell he went to the Curtis Institute in that, that era. You know what I'm saying? There's a little bit of that kind of like very intense, like kind of like, like kind of focus, which is good. That's what you need. Like, that's what, that's the kind of focus he has in the orchestra when he plays. But I mean, it's that kind of, but there was just kind of, and there wasn't, plus he's so busy, you know, he's so busy that there wasn't time to have a bunch of studio meetings and for people to really, it was just weird. It was just different. And I feel like that kind of vibe of Boston where, you know, it's less, um, you know, it, I don't know. There's just a little, it's a little, it's more Northeast. It's just more Northeast. It's just, there's a little bit less, more Massachusetts. It's just like less, I was kind of surprised. Like, like I realized also how much it means to me when people like say hi, people are warm. And not in a way where they're kind of like, hi, okay, I have to go on the, net. you know, it's like, but really like kind of gracious, kind of relaxed, like that relaxed feeling. Like I'm, I'm ever, I'm, I tend to be kind of relaxed and slow about like a lot of things. So it kind of, that kind of vibe, like it was, it was different. I don't know. And it was kind of like you did what you had to do and then you went home and there was never a feeling of, of, of connect. I realized that feeling of connection, it's so important, especially for those of us who, who feel like we have a more um, feminine energy. It's important for myself. I feel like I have a more feminine sort of leaning energy it's super important connectedness, that kind of thing. Like, like, you know, masculine more so energy. This is not gender specific at all. Obviously I just said that I'm, you know, but like, it's like, it's more, um, it's more about doing, it's more about kind of like, you know, like just being kind of like, it's more about putting on the goggles and just being focused on task after task, after task. And I was realizing that like, I can't do things. I can't feel. I can't do things well unless I feel collaboration. I can't do things well unless I mm. feel like connected. And so I tried to, and there, you know, really, I tried to kind of connect to people and things like that. And I don't know. It just even even if you did connect with them, it was just the vibe of the place. I don't know how to put it, but it's just different. A conservatory is just different than a. It's a more in and out feeling, you know, impersonal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's funny because we are kind of in and out. We're just there for two years, you know, when you're in there for the grad school setting, at least I, yeah. And it sounds like, you know, Miss Stroman did like was so intentional in the community that she was building for her studio and it paid off. It paid off. Um, because you, you guys got to experience that connection and, um, yeah, I just, I, I feel like, You know, I, my grad school experience was not at a conservatory, but I also felt kind of the same of like, it's more business. It's more like, it's not about you. It's about your deliverable and it's not so much about connecting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know, and I feel like that's just, that's so hard when the whole core of what we're trying to do is to create Mm -hmm. something new and. Yeah. Well, there I mean, are.
1: What? what? Sorry. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no,
0: no, 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 no. no. You go,
1: please. No, you just reminded me of someone, though, at NEC who's super inspiring. And that's um who doesn't embody that kind of energy. And that was like, and I don't know every all the teachers at NEC. I don't know majority of the teachers at NEC. Like, I'm not speaking like this about in general or trying to generalize. But one person that really inspired me a lot was Paula Robeson. She's the flute um, teacher there. Um, You know, and she was at the Lincoln Center, you know, the chamber, um, you know, groups um, there for, like, 30 years, you know, at the Temple of Dendure, like, you know, performing there with the orchestras. I mean, she's such an inspiration because she's, like, that total package kind of, of, like, someone who's super hardworking and just, like, loves playing and is just, like, playing everything <laughs> like but at the same time very friendly very very youthful there's a youthful energy like that i feel lacks in a lot of people in this field as they grow older especially but no some of them are dead right off the bat let's just be honest like <laughs> right, like they're already dead like an orchestra you just <laughs> you know Ephron i remember uh, David Ephron yeah, he was not he was he was not necessarily the gentlest conductor ever, okay? But like he he at, at IU, but one thing I loved about him was his ideas about things were always right. Even if his delivery was a little crass and, you know, rude and whatnot, he made me cry. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> the thing is he uh the but the thing is, he, he, he's, he was never wrong about, I, I, I remember, like, he was just, like, he told us once, he was, he was really rude one day, like, super rude. And, I mean, he said, he just kind of, like, let things go. Like, he was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know what? He was telling, like, the first violin, or the first second violin, and, like, to, like, the other, her standmate, he was like, yeah, maybe you should take lessons from her, blah, blah, blah. Like, things like that. Like, very upsetting. Like, kind of not appropriate. But this is the thing. He was saying, or so, he was saying, he was like, "I'm sorry, you guys." He, this was when we were doing Carmen, which was nerve wracking with him. It was supposed to be his last opera, right, of um, his career. He was really obsessed with making it like perfect, right? So he was saying, though, like, "Look, guys, I'm sorry." He's like, you know, I, I, I went, I went overboard. But he was like, whenever I see someone in music, in an orchestra, and they just don't look happy. They just don't look like they're enjoying themselves when they just like, he was like, it just, it just gets to me. He was like, it just, it's just like life is so short. He's like, look at me <laughs> like he's old, you know? So yeah. he's like, life yeah, is like, so why are we short. here? He's like, I'm, I'm I'm conducting my last opera. He was like, life is so short, you guys. And, and life is about being happy. It's about finding your happiness, your joy, your peace, you know? And it's about like mental health. It's, it's like really about cultivating that, sort of peace and well-being and he was saying like if you're doing something like music and you're not like like kind of just it's not giving you some sort of like bliss or whatever you know do something else (laughs) like he was just like very honest like he was like and I I don't I'm not saying I agree with his delivery or the way he like disrespects people in rehearsal because I just I don't um agree with that you know I don't believe in teaching with cruelty um I don't be, believe cruelty is ever necessary um but uh yeah, yeah but it, I just remember that it was kind of like but like yeah that's why I always loved Stroman cuz she's been through a lot in her career actually like she's she she's dealt with a lot of snakes um she even admits to having been a snake a couple of times you know to people mm-hmm. like you know one time she was saying like I remember like I was so mean and snobby to this one she used to have a little bit of that, right? She said, even when I was younger, you know, but she, she, like, she said, like, you know, I remember being, I was rude or snobby to this guy all the time at CIM and, and he was not an oboe player, but like he, she said that, but one day he just sat with me and I was having trouble with music theory or something. He sat with me for hours and hours and helped me. That same guy I was rude to. And I just looked to God. And I was just like, she said, you know, faith is important to her. She said, she said, thank you for that, that graciousness. I was so rude to him and you showed me, you showed me like, you know, that kind of compassion from the per very person that I'm rude to. And it was so weird. Oh, man. It was like that A powerful moment. And those kinds of experiences, you know, she entrusted herself. She said, you know, once into someone in an orchestra who kind of made her feel like she could tell them all, all of her observations about other people. And then they, little did she know that they were telling everyone and then she was walking into rehearsal every day and felt like everyone was like you know side-eyeing her and upset with her and then she she then she you know went to she she had to find the next audition out you know whatever but the thing is and and w- even at, at IU she faced a lot of you know not 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 like gossip but like kind of she's like someone that people i don't know cuz she doesn't like go out like making every it evident like she's not like a social media like like musician, you know, who's kind of like, yeah. like, oh yeah, this is, you know, who I am and blah, blah, blah. So people make up a lot of stories, you know? But she was saying like, you know, I. she even took a, a sabbatical to journal about all the criticisms that other faculty members had given her, you know, to like kind of get over that, to to kind of process. She took that time to like process everything, you know? and And so she's been through a lot too, but that never let her like, lose that youthful kind of joyful, innocent kind of energy, you know, towards music, which is the most beautiful thing about her. Yeah.
0: It's like always learning, right? Like right. musically and personally, yeah. like we're always having those aha moments of like, how can I make this environment better for myself and better for my peers? Um, Cause it sounds like a lot of the things that she went through, you know, we're, we're personal and musical, like, because it's taking place in a musical space, but you know, we're very personal things. Um, thank you for passing on that story. Um, I, I won't keep you for too much longer, but I'm I'm loving hearing all of this. Thank you so much for sharing. Of course. You know, all of your experiences so so honestly. Um, I love hearing about your IU experience and and with Miss Stroman, because it was just such a strong studio. Mm-hmm. Like. And so I needed people, that because I'm gets, a
1: very emotionally like fragile person, honestly. I really needed that. I was always been a very sensitive person. So if I'd been thrown into NEC, I'm pretty sure I would have spiraled into depression. I don't know how the undergrads deal with it right away.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just so young and for so long, you know, for four whole years. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I also, I want to ask you, you know, some, some spirituality, you know, things have kind of come up in, in how you're speaking and, I just love that so much. And I was wondering if you would talk a little bit, um, you know, if you're comfortable about how your spiritual grounding has helped you with your experiences is like the, you know, going through the, the, uh, the challenge of, of conservatory.
1: Uh, well, you know, it's kind of, um, made me realize that the way people respond to you and all, I mean, of course that's a reflection of them, but also, you know, um, but it can also be a reflection of you. I mean, my God, you can't just avoid self-responsibility, you know? It's just, you know, it's not yeah. like, not, I'm not saying it in that kind of vein. Um, but what I'm saying is, um, you know, but it goes both ways. It's not always negative. How someone responds to you in a positive way, it's, if they're really gracious, if they're very loving, that's also a reflection of them, you know? Also a reflection of them. I remember, and I and and you know, to stay even-minded, it's really important to stay not get thrown up in the air when you get praise either. I'm realizing. You know, it's important to stay once when you get criticism. I remember that someone had written this about Ravel, Maurice Ravel, that he was equally deadpan in the face of extreme praise as he was in the face of extreme criticism. Because he said these same people were, he was like, Oh, critics will say, you know, this is you know, God's gift to earth one day and the next day they'll say, oh, this is such rubbish. Who would compose this? You know, it's just to be very even-minded. I know Elizabeth Gilbert also talked about this. It's the notion of even-mindedness in spirituality as well, like samatvam. Uh, It's called even-mindedness. It's in the Bhagavad Gita, in the Hindu text. And Krishna talks about how he was like the one who is truly fit for immortality or whatever you want to say is the one who isn't flung up and down in, in a yo-yo all the time, you know, someone who's able to withstand the rushing forces of pain and pleasure, of joy and sorrow, of, of praise and of, um, criticism of, um, fame and of dishonor. You know, it's very important to be able to stay like, not indifferent, but to know who you are, you know, like it's to know who you are, you know, okay. If someone wants to dishonor me, that's fine. If someone wants to praise me, that's fine. It's it's you know, it's like these things come and go, they're always, you know, it's 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 relative, you know. But like Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of, you know, i I know that sounds weird, and I, I don't I don't mean to use relativity as like a form of like escapism. All I'm saying is that it is important to remember often, whenever you start to get caught up in like Oh, this, this. I must be absolutely this or absolutely that. It's like you realize the duality of life. That there is a beauty, there is a dance. You know, everyone has like light and shadow, and you know, everyone has different kind of aspects. And so, whenever you, and the first step is not to be. The thing is, I feel like people always think the first step is to become indifferent to criticism. I think the first step is to become indifferent to praise. Actually, not in not indifferent, but like calm. Like you accept it, you graciously. You you know, I'm not saying you like roll your eyes. That's being. That's also reacting in a way that's kind of you know
0: preconditioned. I mean, like you you don't identify with it. Yeah,
1: you're just like, oh, that's so sweet. That's so you're so lovely to say that. You know, it's kind of like because really it is a reflection of them. It's their experience of you, which is not. Oh, it's which is not 100%. Like my mom was saying this goes both ways, too. Like we talk about this stuff all the time. She was like, you don't really know who I am. What you see is your projection of me. And what I see of you is my projection of you. So it's a reflection of me. It's my projection. It's my it's my movie. And I choose to paint you as the good guy or the bad guy. It makes no difference or the villain, or the hero, or the side character. It makes no difference. That doesn't yeah. define you. It
0: actually has nothing to do with the
1: person. Yeah, it's just, it's just their movie. It's just their projection. And so if someone really resonates with your playing, that's great. If someone really doesn't, that's fine. You know, the thing is you should be able to evaluate for yourself what are your, you know, what, what you see, you should take all these things into consideration, but you shouldn't take it personally, you know?
0: Oh my gosh. Like learn from it,
1: but don't take it personally.
0: That's just, I feel like just the, one of the biggest, hardest lessons for creative people to learn. We talk a lot in our CMRT, like virtual gathering our like coffee table events. A lot of it comes up that like, just putting too much stock, too much identity into your success in an audition, your ability to keep a job, your ability to move through school successfully. Just like so much of our self worth is tied up in that, and we experience the consequences because as soon as something goes wrong, your the infrastructure of your identity just breaks down. Exactly. And and interpersonally, like you're saying as well. Like I've been not to. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I've been going through like a whole thing of like, oh my God, what is reality? And it's just like, there are just a million different realities because we're all living with a million different perceptions. Exactly. What is actually Ayn Rand is
1: dead wrong. What the hell is objectivism? Ayn Rand is so dead wrong. My mom and I were talking how funny it is. Like, it's so funny because actually her, her methodology is very interesting. It actually is very, it's, she's a very, she, she had a very great mind, you know, like, but the thing is the core, the core, and you know, it's so funny that she's like an inspiration for like conservatives and libertarians and stuff. The core of her philosophy is flawed. Objectivism. How can a human being be objective? That's impossible. It's completely I impossible. Agree. I, and that's why I laugh whenever musicians too. I revel in the subjectivity of life. I love it. It's a dance. Again, it's fun. <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's like. It's
0: juicy. It's, it's juicy. It's, it's, the yeah. joy of
1: life is the variety. the joy of life is the is the subjectivity the the how it, may, it, it the joy of life is 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 that is responding and feeling feeling that emotional like oh, did this resonate did this not it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it doesn't resonate with you and it resonates with me what i do doesn't need to resonate with you what you do doesn't need to resonate with me. it needs to resonate with you you know and, and what I do needs to resonate with me you know so it's kind of like you know uh feeling authentic, right? Feeling true to yourself. But like with this, you know, this objectivism thing, I just laugh, like, especially like there are objective things in music, you know, for example, like that people kind of agree on. But I remember my teacher saying, even in audition committees, one person will will say that person had an excellent sense of pulse. And then someone right next to them would be like, well, I thought they were rushing. You know, it's like, it's like perception. It's so weird. It's like, It's kind of like you, but there are more, there are things that are more like objectively agreeable between people on a committee, like, you know, pitch, pulse, like most people have been trained to perceive that in a similar way. Right. Mm. So for, so for that, those are, those are less subjective, you know, things. So those things, obviously it's very important to have in down pat, but you know, I always laugh when I see teachers saying, well, you know, so and such and such conductor is European, so you should do a wider vibrato, or such and such is this, so you should do that, or such and such is more of this line of playing, or such and such. I'm like, don't try to please people like that. Oh, oh that's yeah. so that's so I mean, because the thing is everyone can feel when you're not resonating with what you're doing. That's when it feels off. That's when it feels inauthentic. You have to be yeah, resonating if, with it.
0: I just completely agree. Like the The thing that I've been obsessing over in terms of like preparing myself for auditions throughout, you know, through many years from the beginning of my training to now is like, what is that thing? What is that thing that people hear and they're like, yes, I want it. Like we're going to hire that person because like the objective stuff is always taken care of when you get, and now when you get into the prelims, all of a sudden everyone's amazing and just does all the objective things perfectly. But like at the very end, it's like, what is that thing? What is that like magical, magical thing? Um that, that is, as you say, like resonates with people. And I think it's the, the belief behind
1: what you're putting out there. Exactly. And the connection, it's like, where's the energy flowing? Is it flowing back into you? Like Patsy Rosenberg, this is an amazing thing. Um, she's a Shakespearean theater director, you know, and based in New York city, not just Shakespearean, but she's, that's kind of a specialty of hers. Um, you know, she's this wonderful theater director who talks about the second circle and there are three circles of energy. And she talks about how first circle playing is energy that sinks back into you. And she's talking about acting, but it, it relates to everything, all performance. She said a great, you know, and she said, I'm too old to be rigid, right? It's not always that second circle is the, is the only. but she said a great performer is almost always in second circle, unless it's intentional. And she was saying like, Mm. it's second circle is, is equality. It's connection. But first circle is kind of like, she said, you know, it's turned inward. It's, it's to yourself. It's when you're playing for yourself. It's when you're playing just to yourself, someone's who's playing is so kind of like boxed in and, and you know, you just kind of want to crack them open a little. You're just like, can the energy just, you know, feel more. It, It just feels like it's, it's someone who almost seems aloof when they play. Like they kind of, that's their, that's their way of preserving their energy is kind of turning the energy inward. And if you listen, read the book, the Celestian prophet. Oh, it's so interesting. But but this is like first circle (laughs) energy is kind of what he calls the aloof in the Celestian, whatever prophecy. I, I don't remember what it is, but it is interesting. You do see it. You kind of observe it in life. And then the third circle on the other hand of second is third circle, which is energy. That's kind of, Very um, dominant, controlling, you know, very kind of like, it's very kind of, you know, she was saying in her Teta, voices that are too loud, you know, people who take kind of, they take the the breath, they take your, they suck the air out of the room, they kind of have a control, it's very, it's generalized extroverted energy.
0: Oh, it's wow. Like it's
1: generalized extroverted energy, not focused on something, not connecting with something intimately. It's the opposite of intimacy. First circle is the opposite of intimacy because it's the, it's the lover who just never talks to you and is always on their phone. They're connected inward. They're, they're not, you know, with, they're not connecting to you, right? Third circle energy is the person who's just kind of like, yeah, and they'll have this and blah, blah, blah. And they just want to control everything. And it's like, Authority. well, where's the connection? What about me? Like what about our connection? Why there's no energy reciprocity? Like second circle is that mm. is that energy it's this like kind of flow of energy. It's cyclical where it's like you're connecting your like Stroman would always say she was like imagine you're playing out to the heart of one person in the audience. Mm. Really Mr. Rowe used to say this as well. He said I imagine I'm playing out to someone's heart like out there whatever. Why do you think um, people always like love the concept of a muse? Cuz they they're, when they're making their art, they feel their energy flowing towards that person or they feel connected. It makes them feel love is that feeling kind of of almost connection, right? And it's yeah. kind of like and and same thing with um um uh you know, um, yeah, yeah, with the, with the muse, like that connection, but also with, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting. Oh, God is a muse for many people. Look at Haydn. He's making it, oh, but yeah. he's making it with this intention of offering it or kind of like connecting with God or whatever. It doesn't matter, but it's the one-pointedness of the energy. And actually Krishna talks about this also in the Bhagavad Gita. He says, the one whose intellect is multifarious, the focus of the intellect is multifarious. These people get lost in the cobwebs, right? It gets, there's mm. so much complexity, right? But the someone who's able to tap, because like we said, duality and different people's perceptions, you, it's funny because you have to acknowledge and understand and not get repped that at all, there's so many different, you have to be tolerant of and understand. It's so ironic uh, that there's so many different perceptions and that there's so many different perspectives so that you can do so that you can tune it out. It's funny. So that, you know, it's funny. You have to be aware of it so that it doesn't bother you. So that you can stay focused on what, what, where you're giving to. What's that point that you're giving to, you know? Not like, not like the scattered energy of like, like Stroman used to tell me to just focus on a dot on the wall. And I always thought that was weird. And I was like, "Eh." she was like, or just focus on the exit sign or something. When you're playing something memorized, she was like, focus on something. And I never understood, but she was like, your energy needs to be focused on something that's outside, that's both outside of yourself, but also not everything. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow.
0: Wow. What a contextualization. Mm -hmm. for that oh my goodness and what we're you're talking about with understanding all like other people's perspectives so that you can preserve yourself and your energy oh my gosh it's it's so important and it's so much work it's why it's so hard if it were if it were easy everyone would do it kind of thing it's just so much work to take your perspective and put it into into somebody else's space so that you can understand but it's so it's so crucial and what I love so much is that, you know, we're talking about connection in terms of an effective performance, in terms of like a perfect like a, an effective, creative moment, but also how connection is so important in terms of our environment that we're doing it in, and it's like con- like connection is also incredibly important for our our emotional well being in that creative space as well. Like if it's if if it's either personal or musical, like connection just always has to. There. And,
1: and Yes, absolutely. And that connection almost supersedes the desire, the need for, the, the connection all actually supersedes this, no, this uh, desire for perfection. It's interesting because the thing is like with perfection, it's very self-focused. It's very like, I need to be perfect. I don't want to make a fool of myself. This is how people perceive me. I'm worried about how, how people perceive me. A self-assured, self-regulated, emotionally person. Does, is not worried about how people perceive them. They're worried about being sincere. Not oh. even worried about it. They're just rooted in that. Like, it's it's about sincerity. It's about, you know, I remember one of my friends saying, we tra- we were talking about one, one of our favorite singers. This is how we bonded. It's funny. But I, he was saying, I don't think Gita is actually concerned about sounding good in a song or how she sounds. She's not concerned about how she sounds, like her voice. She's concerned. She, what, she's just... Pouring her heart out. She's just in the flow. She's just in this state of, like, perennial giving, you know? It's, like,
0: yeah. it's
1: just, like, like it's the intensity of, like, giving from a perennial source. Like, like wow. this kind of, like, eternal source. Like, you feel it move through you. Like, Krista Ludwig even talks about the singer, my friend J.J., Talk, you know our friend JJ. What the hell? Sorry, you know I forget <laughs> when I'm in a train of thought. Um, she, was you know talking about he? She calls it geheimness. It's this kind of. It's this. Fee, it's this thing. This factor that kind of. It's like this feeling of connectedness where it's almost like, it's happening on its own. It's almost like you're. It's almost like thing. All the things are like fitting together, as they should because you're you're focused on giving. You're focused on giving. It's like, it's that kind of thing. So, and giving like, and the intimacy, it needs to be an intimate kind of giving, not a showy, not a kind of giving that's like, look at me, not a self-centered kind of thing or like, you know, controlling or something. You can't control the environment. You influence it, right? It's like, it's like your energy. It's kind of like this uh, intimacy, like, I feel like what people in the, you know, what's so funny, I think the perfect word for what I personally feel always, like, whenever I hear playing, that's kind of like, uh, okay, whatever. And then when I hear playing, that suddenly, like, it picks you up out of your chair, it just something about it just picks you up, and it it, it pulls you in. That's that like a moth to a light, right? It's like, it's that feeling of intimacy, everyone craves intimacy and and connection. And so like when someone's playing has that vulnerability, has that sort of intimacy on top and, and and you can feel that all the technical perfection is being, is, is just kind of happening on that flow, you know, but it's like pulling you in, like something is pulling you in. It's like, it's beautiful. It's like connecting you to something. Um, It's like, you know, that's what I feel like creates that sort of magic and sincerity. It feels sincere to you. It feels like, like it's, you know, I don't know how to put it. And that it it goes beyond even like certain, it can go beyond aesthetics certain things. Like I remember like there was this one Japanese singer I was listening to and, you know, I was just thinking, I was like, I was like, this is so touching to me. Like I was, I was like, it's, so beautiful and touching and I was just saying like many people would be like oh well listen to her vibrato or listen to her blah 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 and I'm just like you know what's so funny the point is that it didn't matter to me at all it just didn't matter I was just like ah this is so this is so coming from her it's so intimate and that's why second circle Patsy Rosenberg she said it's the circle of equality when we're in second circle together we are equals and so oh. and so, everyone wants is equality, right? I mean, let's talk about social justice. What people really want to feel is equality. They want to feel... they, You know, it's not about... You know, some people are... Afraid. Patsy says something beautiful in the master class. She said many, many people are afraid of getting into second circle because they feel that victimhood of first. That feeling sorry for oneself of first. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some people... On, on the other hand, some people have a hard time getting into second circle, into that place of equality, because they feel the superiority, and controlling nature of third. They like to operate from that because because it, it, see that that sucks. What third and first circle do is it's like it's they it's like almost like energy vampire vampirism. It it sucks energy. It's not an equal reciprocity. Some people are afraid of true equal reciprocity in a relationship, in performance. It, it's a much deeper emotional and psychological kink, in my opinion. And it's yeah. something that, you know, sometimes it's just something where someone doesn't realize it. I'm not saying it's always that. But in many cases, it's just like, it's, it's a tendency you know, based in something psychological and emotional, and it's like third-circle third people. They're often, you know, it's often, you know, there's it's a it has a slight narcissistic touch to it. You know what I'm saying? It just has yeah. a little bit of like a controlling feel to it, or like it's self-centered. It, it wants to suck the energy out of the room. So what it does, he's he or she is doing is pulling it into them. First-circle energy is is what actually. Um, you could call it the aloof or the poor me, you know, it's like this, it's like someone who's always playing the victim, someone who's always, you know, trying to pull in people's energy by making them feel sorry for them. And it's kind of like almost that kind of energy of, of kind of being, you know, protect and also kind of never giving your energy. You're always trying to shield giving your energy so you can store it, you can hoard it you know?
0: Exactly. That's what, that's what keeps coming up when you talk about first circle for me is the, the unwillingness to be vulnerable and what you're presenting is like, we, and I feel like that. So we're, I feel like we're so perfectly trained to be in first circle through like schooling almost, you know, if it's not intentionally otherwise, because it's like, what are all of these objective things that I can perform all these boxes that I can tick so that I know that my performance was good without me having to take any risk and putting myself into my playing without having like avoiding vulnerability in the choices that we make musically and stuff it's that it's the walls it's the walls that 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 go up that protect us but also keep out the people that are trying to connect with us If if that's our audience or our peers or whoever they can't get in because you're not you're not giving them you're not opening the door. And this is, reminds me of
1: another beautiful thing. Stroman used to say that when you're in the zone, it's like you, there's a bubble around you that's only penetrable outward.
0: I need to, I need, okay. Can there, you say that one more time? Bu- I need that. There, I need you're to performing, process that one more There's time. a
1: bubble around you. So anyone's judgments, anyone's thoughts, it doesn't concern you. It's bouncing off the bubble. Mm. But the bubble is penetrable only in one direction. And that is out from you. Outward. So you can give. Wow. So you are the, you are the soul giver in that moment. So it's that feeling of, you know. Gosh.
0: And just, t- and, and you think about it that way. and You just think about all of the things that need to happen before that. Yeah, like you're like internally, like h- what kind of place you need to be in in order to do that, and how much work that truly takes.
1: And Stroman is a chronic overthinker; she is, and this is mm. why she's found all these beautiful ways to explain these things. Sometimes people where it comes more naturally, they have a harder time explaining. They're like, ah, eh, just do it, you know. But like, it's funny because first also does that, but third circle. I think we're trained more in the conservat- conservatory setting, especially in America, to be more in first circle. And then third circle, on the other hand, is also um, insincere. You know, has a slimy, it has an insincere feeling to it. You know, it just doesn't work.
0: It's, yeah. You know, It's that performance for the sake of showing off exactly. instead of being yourself. But I
1: find that less often, but it's almost more disorienting to people because, you know, or it could be that they're, they're very impressed by it or something, but mentally speaking, not emotionally. It doesn't necessarily touch them. And, you know, sometimes people who haven't, and this is, again, so interesting. It's like people who do resonate with maybe like, like more third circle playing. It's because sometimes those are people who haven't tapped into that themselves. So again, it gets into that subjectivity, but, you know, it's kind of, but that's, you know, it's more like, I feel like third circle can be appealing to some people at the mental level, but not at the emotional level. yeah, It's like, because there's not intimacy you know, it's that not... And therefore,
0: there's not danger, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you can be in second circle with anything. She was saying, you could be in second circle with a book. You could be in second circle with your phone even. I mean, technically. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, it's, it's the equal give and take of the present moment. There's a har- harmonious um, symbiosis that, like, occurs. And so it's like, neither are you... You're not in control, like, trying to be in control. Neither are you out of control because you're in control of yourself. So you're like, it's like this balance. It's, but the problem is, like, not, not, you know, everyone's coming from a different place emotionally, psychologically. So it's impossible in this world to resonate with everyone. That's another thing we have to admit. My friend oh Miley my gosh, was yeah. so, interest, so interesting what she said. I love what Miley said. Miley is, you know, she just actually, she's having a baby, which is so nice. She's going to be the best mom. But she was saying, um, you know, she was in the oboe studio at IU. And then she went to Colorado and uh, did music therapy. She was saying uh, to me that, you know, she's like this extreme. I mean, I, I can't think of more, a more like just joyful, like sweet, like, like, like loving exudes love, like, like boom, 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 like so much like it's amazing. But she she always said, like, you could be the juice. I had to realize that you can be the juiciest orange in the world. And some people just don't like oranges. You know, and it's nothing personal, wow, uh, it's nothing whoa, personal. and it, you know someone could have an extreme yeah. hatred of oranges or an <laughs> allergy or something I don't know, but, yeah, you know. oh my gosh that that just that that just hit so hard. you just don't they're just not resonating at, at the same frequency it just doesn't it's just not
0: yeah I mean we we know we've learned that people pleasing never works in life and in music it just it just never quite anyone? And we're, we,
1: we. Sorry, no, no, no. We both have codependent tendencies. We were both discussing. <laughs> yeah.
0: <So>. Caught. <laughs> yeah, it's wild, dude. Um, I. So much of what you're talking about is making me remember something that you said actually in our emails back and forth. Um, and you had mentioned this idea of embracing discomfort with courage and openness, and like we're talking about the first, second, and third circles, and how like there's discomfort there's so much discomfort in the second circle, but that's where we want to be. And that's where the most effective sharing happens. And um, I just adore the way that you phrase that. And like, I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that of how embracing discomfort with courage and openness can help musicians and help humans. There's so much discomfort in entering into that vulnerable space, but the most effective sharing and creating happens in that vulnerable space. And there's so much work that we need to do emotionally in order to get to that place. And I feel like a part of that is embracing the discomfort with courage and openness, as you say, so beautifully. So I was just wondering if you would speak to that a little bit more.
1: Oh yeah. I guess like that again deals with um, <clears throat> kind of, you know, vulnerability issues. I see this a lot more in um, people who have a tendency towards a masculine, more masculine balanced energy and energy balanced more towards the masculine I see that they often have a problem just being vulnerable because you know, it, there's a, there's a, there's a tendency for masculine energy to want to control and assert itself. So, and this
0: is know, a, this is a divine masculine energy, right? That's yeah, exactly. Kind of, okay.
1: Yeah. 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 Not like a, you know, male, female, whatever, binary, no, nothing like that. Like anyone. So like any gender and uh, any identity, just that kind of energy. I've noticed feminine energy is more receptive. Right. So like, Almost like to the point where um, my problem is that when I'm in performance, I get too receptive. And Stroman's the same way. It's funny, though. It's like every little thing, every little thing. It's like I notice like, oh, someone just dropped their notepad. Oh, God, everyone. I'm noticing all stimuli at once. It's just like too overwhelming. Oh or the pianist, like they, they, you know, oh, did they, did they not play the root of that chord or something? It's just crazy. Like oh, all this, so like right. all this stuff, like it's just like. So that's why it's like in both senses if you're third circle and you're too much just like trying to prove yourself and everything then getting into second circle instead of having this generalized extroverted energy of dominate dominance if you bring your that that focus into just one thing that brings you again back to balance and then on, and then in first circle if you are in you know, too much like inward where you're then only hearing your inner dialogue and everything and you're get you're psyching yourself out that way, then focusing on something outward, but just one thing, but really giving to that, that also puts you in balance. So coming into second, actually pulling yourself back into second, when you get off, it does help. It helps the balance. It helps the focus and everything. So I think like, it's interesting, like, That uh, it it does come into balance, you know, with both like actually Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, the writer of Eat, Pray, Love. I've never read the book or watched the movie, I have to admit. Um, But (laughs) the thing is, I watched her TED Talk and she was saying that she was talking about karma yoga, which is basically she doesn't say it's karma yoga, but she's talking about what Krishna actually in the Bhagavad Gita talks about the first step in purifying the mind is karma yoga, which is detaching yourself from the fruit of your actions. Detaching, yeah, detaching yourself. Like Krishna says, the first step of of purifying the mind is not even just like, you know, service and this and that. He said first, he's like, do any action. This applies to any action. Detach yourself from the result. That's the thing. That's the number one. He's like, otherwise you'll get caught up in this world. You'll see life as either you being a winner or a loser, and you're just going to be, really mentally unstable and depressed. Like he said, you have first step of purifying the mind is staying even minded, accepting the result as it comes, not worrying about that. You can't control the result. You can only control your efforts. So that's the exact thing everyone talks about. Like whether it's Tony Robbins or it's someone else, you know, Joe Dispenza, but it's kind of like, uh, but it's it's so funny that that's the first thing Krishna spends two chapters on. He doesn't talk about like, oh, be devoted to me, God, blah, blah, blah. No, he doesn't talk about any of that. It takes a while to build devotion and faith, especially for someone like myself, who is a very analytical person. And it took me a while to kind of latch onto that whole, that whole like love God thing. Because, you know, I was like, it took me a while. But then when I understood like, wow, it's this universal, beautiful thing, and intelligence and you know, love. Then I then I started to latch on and that built that. But like, you know, in terms of like but it's not necessary is what Krishna is saying. First, like purifying the mind, it's about like detaching from the fruit of your actions. And it's like and what Elizabeth Gilbert was talking about was whenever she was trying to get published, I'm sorry, I don't mean to go on and on. I really want to have you like reciprocate and feel like you can butt in whenever, please. But I'm just like this Elizabeth Gilbert is so interesting. Like she was saying, she didn't. She's never read The Bug with Gita, probably, or anything like that. And it doesn't matter because she learned it through her own life experience. It's just true that you know, whenever she was trying to get published, she um, was constantly getting rejections. Like in the mail every day, it was like, oh, another rejection from a publishing company. So she was getting really down. But after a while, she just kind of got used to it. She was like, ah, another one, ah, another one. And then Eat, Pray, Love got, got published and it became a huge success. And then overnight, she was like thrown into stardom. And, you know, it's like suddenly she was getting all of these interviews. She was getting all this attention. And she said, I was so overwhelmed that with all of this, that, you know, I started to actually get into a depression. She was like, I actually started to get depressed. And so she said, I realized that that extreme success and extreme failure both had similar effects on my mind because they took me out of balance. So she said, so she said, regardless of whether I was getting a rejection or I was getting approval, what really kept me happy was coming. She like, like, it's almost like she, she like painted a little house in the middle. It was like just coming back to my home of work. Like, just working. She was like, so I didn't care if my next my next book was a flop or if it was a success. I just came back to the work. I came back into the zone. Like, even Barack Obama said, he was like, just keep the focus on the work. Like, just oh, keep man. it... Keep the mind on the work. Don't keep it on the on the result or whether people like it or don't like it or if it's successful and brings you money or if it isn't and flops. Like, same thing with film directors and movie directors. Like, the, you know, it's, like, all the same thing. It's, like, what grosses, what doesn't. You're not concerned. Or what's a hit song and what isn't for an artist. It's, like, it's, you know, it's, like, she was saying whenever I just got back to work, that's when I was happiest. Like that's what brought me back. My brought me back into the zone. So she said, I realized extreme, extreme kind of like success, extreme failure. They have similar impacts on the mind. Cause they just take you, your mind doesn't know the difference actually between whether it's good or evil or good or bad, whatever your mind just feels what's out of balance. And wow. so like, it's so funny like that she, she was explaining that so beautifully because because, like, that's what, you know, Krishna says also with Samatvam. He talks about, when I say Krishna, it sounds like I'm talking about a person, but really I'm talking about, like, the, you know, you know universal love, intelligence, consciousness, whatever you want to call it, the God principle, whatever you want to call it, you know, source. And so, like, um, you know, it's that kind of uh, uh, coming back to center, you know. like Like, so he's even said, like, you know, coming back to the center of, of a, you know, whether it's extreme praise or extreme, you know, criticism or honor or dishonor, you know, it's the same kind of concept of like being even minded with in praise and in criticism and honor and dishonor in fame and in, you know, disrepute, whatever. It's kind of the same kind of thing. She realized that extremes always cause imbalance, you know,
0: Oh my gosh. And just like, what a, what a beautiful, gorgeous, juicy takeaway for anybody, for musicians and anybody who does anything creative is just like, come back to the work, Mm. do what fulfills your soul and create beautiful things and find meaning. And if you're resonating with yourself and you're creating something authentic and true, um, I feel like in that space you can more easily detach from the criticism and from the praise mm. and from all of that and just live a little bit easier. Mm. There's an incredible amount of work on the front end to be able to do that. I mean, no,
1: I mean, I we like- all take things personally. I, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, take things personally still, but I just like, it's good. It just like reminds you, like if you just can pull yourself back to center, like, You know, it's, it's funny though. I've always seen like the people who like get shot up the most, like, let's talk about psychology. It's funny. The people who get shot up the most with praise are who, 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 who is the most incredibly just like, they suck it up like a, like a dry sponge, like praise. Narcissists. Narcissists love praise. They're obsessed with praise. They like, they, you know, and it's, you know, they don't respond to it in like this kind of like in a mild way, like they love it. I mean, even if it's your boss and they're kind of holding off, they love it. You know, it's called, you know, it's like, it, it feeds them so much, you know, cause you're suddenly their supply. Right. Cause oh, they, they literally, yeah. they literally love that. Like they need that sort of validation. And so, and honestly, you know, what's so funny, Laura is that that actually not fear of like embodying those kind of characteristics, but realizing that we all have these sorts of tendencies. Every one of us. It's just when it gets to a to a certain extreme, it gets past a certain threshold. It's like when you take too much out of the back of a reed. It's like you can't go back. You know, it's like you know, it's oh. like it's like after yeah. like two. If you've gotten past the point of no return, almost. I don't. You know, it's almost like at like that when you've gotten past a certain threshold, it's very difficult. But it's the same tendencies that can devolve you there. You know, like. And I was thinking like. That's why I need to curb this need for validation so much. That's oh so important gosh. for me. That's been such a journey for me because I've always wanted to feel like I've always been. And, and you know, we do it in a different way, right? Like kind of more codependent tendency of people. We give, 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 give. And we're hoping that we get something in return. But no, it's not about that. It's like, you know, that that's like, it's that, you know, that's the kind of. Um, and I when I realized that, oh, my gosh, I may not be like you know, in the book, like, you know, by the book, like this or that, it's like when I see these sorts of tendencies in myself, like, am I being hypersensitive? Am I being, am I over personalizing things? It's, it, it, it should, it's, it's not like scaring yourself, but it's like checking yourself. You know what I mean? It's oh, like, yeah. it's like, oh my God, I really reacted to that in a hypersensitive way. Is this a narcissistic or a codependent or whatever tendency of mine? Like, you know, Because it's not like you have to be a registered this. Like some people use that as an excuse, you know. Like, like you know, like oh well, you know, passive aggressive. Like the most passive aggressive English teacher I ever had. I mean, she she's awful. She literally said like, well, you know, passive aggression is like you have to be diagnosed with it. Blah blah blah. I'm like, that's fine. That's a valid point. You do have to be diagnosed, right? To be like to say you have it. But that's not the point. That's, the point is self-growth. The point is we all have these psychological kinks and these things to be worked out. And so when you see that sort of, that descriptor, that symptom, you know, you should be yeah. aware and you should try to combat it. That's the point of that information. The point of that information is not to be like, well, I'm not that, you know. Right. Nar- oh narcissists gosh. never think that they're narcissists. Narcissists think everyone else is a narcissist. you know what I'm saying?
0: Oh my gosh. It's like, I, I don't want to be
1: like that. I really want to check myself because I know I have some tendencies that need to be worked out like that anger, you know, what is anger? Anger is all expecting other people to do things the way you want and this and that. I have to let go of that if I want to be a better person. You oh know? my gosh.
0: Oh my gosh. So, so much of what you're saying is just resonating so much, like checking yourself for all of those those pitfalls that you know that you have, like it starts with Mm self-awareness, right? It starts with being so aware of what those pitfalls even are so that you can check yourself on it. I was listening to uh, Renee Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. There was this one episode, I forget who she was even interviewing. Um, I should go back and make sure that I'm crediting this person correctly, but they were sharing these questions that they ask themselves when they're getting really anxious and angry and having just like a lot of really intense feelings. And the questions are, like, in terms of what you're feeling, your reaction to something is, is it true? And then you ask, is it definitely true? How would you feel if it weren't true? And what if the opposite were true? Mm-hmm. I use those questions so much. And, like, it's just staying centered, on, like, reminding yourself of your center and reminding yourself kind of who you are and what you what is influencing your perception of anything so that you can like find a little bit more truth in it? Um, you can live a little bit easier. I just, yeah, I, I just, I'm with you so much on that. And that resonates so much. I have those questions on a sticky note right in front of my desk um, because it's so hard. It's so, it's, it takes so much work, but I feel like that's self-awareness, that's step one, that self-awareness. Um, mm, and that's the so thing important. you
1: can, it's all about self-awareness. Cause like if someone can be, very knowledgeable on all of these things they can list off every definition about like oh you know this personality disorder is this 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 is this, this you know they can list off everything they can have all the knowledge knowledge is not what makes you better knowledge is, is a tool to make you better but what makes you better is self-awareness really because like if you're it. like yeah like someone can totally know all these things and buy the textbook. And they can accuse other people of it. But like someone who's always doing this, I read an interesting book. You know, I'm not Christian, but I don't care. I read every religion's books and people's who've written a lot of different things. There's this one guy I'm forgetting. He wrote something on, it was this book. He said, if there's any sin in this world, it is blaming That's the only sin. If there's any sin, it's blame. And that's because it's interesting. I'm going to, now I'm going to get into a little bit of a sticky territory. And now I don't want to be misunderstood. So I'm going to be very verbally clear here. It's just like blame. This is the thing with blame is that whenever you come across someone who has these, these personality disorders, it's always blame like, or especially narcissism. Sorry, but it's always blaming, 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 but it's never turning the finger inward. Right. It's never looking at those things in themselves like they can identify it. They're intelligent, but it's never turning that light inward, never shining your flashlight inward. It's just like that. And the thing with interesting thing is that also with with blaming what that what that assumes is that you're always a victim. So narcissists and people like that, they always think they're a victim. And whenever any of us are, are, are embodying some of those tendencies, because we're all fluid human beings and we all have problems and are working on ourselves. Like, you know, we it's 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 that concept. It's it's, it's sorry. It's that state of mind where you want to blame other things. You want to be like, ah, they did it. That's why I'm you know, it's because of my goddamn parents. You know, yeah, it's because of that. me. It's not yeah, me. It's not me. And this is the thing okay your parent that, that maybe that was maybe your parents had an influence in that maybe it's cuz of your parents and you were a helpless kid when all that happened and that's not fair maybe that's not fair but who's psycholo- who's who's suffering who's suffering that it's you and so and who's going to be able to take care of that it's you and so it's kind of that accepting of that i don't have to it's not about like it's like what oprah said in that thing like it's forgiveness doesn't absolve the perpetrator it's a gift that you give yourself, you know, it's that oh. kind of, yeah, it's like, it's that kind of thing. And that's the thing when you, people also, you know, you, whenever something bad happens to you, I'm not saying like, like being a, like, there's a difference between embodying a personality and a belief system of victimhood and being a victim of a particular traumatic event. We need to get that straight. Okay. Like there's a difference. Like it's whenever you, cause a lot of people think like, Oh, well, then you're standing by blah, blah, blah. No, nope, nope. That's not it. It's not that at all. It's, it's, y- you can be the victim of a traumatic event, whether you choose to stay in that state of victimhood, that mentality of victimhood for years, decades. That, yeah. is, that is a different story, right? Yeah, whether, I
0: mean, yeah. Sorry, please keep going. I didn't no, mean to
1: interrupt. I, no, no, no. I was just saying like, you know, it's a different story after a certain point. We have to take charge of our own healing and part of, and, and, and like we said, it's, it's like, it's forgiving, not for the sake of saying that what they did was okay. Cause what they did was not okay. What they did will never be okay. But it's saying that I'm forgiving that. Cause I'm going to let go of that. I'm going to stop clenching my fist. I'm going to stop, you know, killing myself for something that was done to me years ago. Cause now I'm holding on to the psychological pain of something that already happened. right? Right. So I'm suffering it not once, I'm suffering it a thousand times. And so like, it's that it's, it's part of the healing journey is taking accountability for and being becoming empowered in, in deciding to heal yourself. Because the opposite of living in a state of victimhood, which is that first circle kind of energy is the, uh, the, 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 sorry, the anecdote to that is being empowered, being empowered to heal yourself and seek out first, if you're very beaten up and very in a bad state seeking out help so other people can help you get there. You know, can oh my help, gosh. because other people always yeah. are there to help. They're always they're always helpers, right? They're always people trying to help.
0: And there are there are people who you're always gonna have your people. Right. You will always have your people if it's your family, if it's your chosen family, if it's your friends. You're always gonna have those people who are going to want right. to lift you up. At, and, and and yeah, and what you're what you're saying makes me think so much of um therapy and a lot of things i hear in therapy um i i'm obsessed with my therapist she's like Mm. (laughs) she's gotta be my age like she is you know she's an intern like she's my age she's a student like i just i love her so much and i tell her at the end i was like thank you so much you're the most amazing therapist i've ever worked with (laughs) um and and she's like you know what like it's my clients that do the work i don't do all that much it's the clients that are doing the work and Mm. i think when you know i've worked with, you know, several therapists and, and they all kind of say like, it's just, it's my, it's the, it's the clients, it's my patients that are doing the work outside. Um, and it's doing all that like ugly work of, of self-reflection and, and confronting those nasty things because we all have them, like exactly what you're saying. Like we all have injuries.
1: Exactly. Like we we all, all project.
0: And we all project like the worst thing you've ever experienced in your life is the worst thing you've ever experienced in your life, no matter where it falls in the grand, you know, on this big scale of all the things that can happen to human beings. Um, We all have injuries um, and we all have our people who will help. And, you know, I just, yeah, that just, you know, it's a, it's a really, it's a hairy point, but I, I, I thank you so much for making it.
1: Oh yeah. That's the thing. It is, it is a hairy point. It's like, I just, I'm sorry. I just imagined like a little hedgehog. Yeah. That was a really weird image. uh No, I love that. No, it's cute. It's cute. It's cute. (laughs) I love hedgehogs. No, but it's funny. It's like that, that, that's so true though. That's the thing. Whenever you tell someone you, this is not something that people who are freshly wounded want to hear. Okay. Like, like, you know, people in my, there are people in my family that have been through like really traumatic things, and this is not a point that they may want to hear for a while, you know, cause it's something that like, you know, they'll just think like, Oh, that's so callous. That's so insensitive of you. But really, you know, it's, it's like part of the first step of healing is it's, it's, it's the first step of healing is, is like, okay, what can I do to empower myself? What can I do to like, you know, that's, that's the first step. It's really important. Otherwise, Otherwise, it actually only gets worse. But like you know, I understand. Like if something just freshly happened to someone, my problem is I'm always like a problem solver. Like I'm always trying to like like you know get people like oh god, get them in touch with this person. Oh, it you know, yeah. yeah. Oh, you should try this method. You should try that. You know, it's it's a very kind of you know uh, active mindset about things. But not everyone's like that. Some people, it really. And this is another thing to you know to say without. Um, being necessarily as lenient and wishy-washy as some people in saying this. But what I'm saying is like, yes, for some people, that self-reflection thing, you know, that's that kind of just sitting with the feelings, that's super important. And for everyone, that is important. But like, I'm just saying, like, if you can be guided in the right direction, like you said, by people you love, if you cannot spiral, because some people really do spiral into very, very dark places. And so it's like, yeah. And so that's the thing. It's like, like and it's if it's not your family if it's not your friends you know there're always people who can help that's the thing like some people think oh there's no one who can understand me there's no one who can help me there's always someone i mean even if you're in a in a really like like uh, say you grew up in a very like disenfranchised community very like um uh you know very basically just you know poor community and you know say there's a lot of you know gang violence there's a lot of you can't trust the people around you there are always centers. There are always, like, some very good people who just who want to help. There are always people. Right? Isn't that a Mr. Rogers quote? His mother told him. He was like, always look for the helpers. There are always people that want to help.
0: Oh, what a beautiful sentiment, I think, to kind of wrap up our, our chat. Um, you know, just oh, so many major takeaways from speaking with you, Anish.
1: This is See, wonderful. This
0: is so wonderful. Being brave and being vulnerable—that we can create and 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 exist in a in a soul fulfilling way as human beings, oh. doing that hard work on the front end of self reflection and self awareness, so that you can enter that vulnerable space at all, and seeking help when you need it. Just so many so many wonderful nuggets from this conversation. I just thank you so much for sharing.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.